Hello and welcome to his dropping at the movies. I'm Mike and I'm Jose and we've just come back from the electric cinema where Uncut Gems was playing, which I thought was great. How about you? Um, I'm trying to work it out. Did you enjoy it? Um, you reacted to it. I can tell that much. I could. Yes, tell. I mean, my my main feeling, well, for me, it was a bit of an unpleasant watch, right? Because the thing is that um, the Adam Sandler character lives such a stressful life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's also stressful. And, you know, on the one hand, you know, the way that he deals with situations is amazing, right? And I love that whole kind of milieu, you know, it's set in the Diamond District in New York, and I, you know, I love all of that hmm. kind of culture, and I love the energy. I love the energy of New York, and also the energy of a New York Jew. I don't know how else to describe it, right? Like, you know, hmm. that kind of, you know, so I loved all of that. But on the other hand, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the thing about the film is he's, he's involved with loan sharks and, you know, and some things are oh, funny, yeah. but I just found it very tense, yeah, in yeah. a way that was not uh, pleasant to watch, right? So it's not like Hitchcock tension that then there's the release. I mean, in this film, it starts off a problem and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. When you say pleasant, do you mean, is there a difference between it being pleasant to watch and pleasurable to watch? Because it's, I don't think it's pleasant, but I took a great amount of pleasure in it. Well, I think it's very well put together, tension and drama and stakes and all that kind of stuff. I thought all of that was good. I thought it was also kind of raw, really. You really felt the combination of people's mixed emotions, you know, and needs. And I think, uh, I mean, we were talking about Bombshell the other day. I mean, this film, the character uh, that Adam Sandler plays is on a completely exponential, different level of complexity, right? Mm. Like, you know, you see the character, and he's got competing drives. I mean, you know, he's got this thing going with his girlfriend, he's got this thing going with his wife, he's kind of got the children, he's part of a family, he, you know, he's part of a business. And he's got like kind of different and competing emotions that change from day to day, actually, about all of those things. So that is brilliant. On the other hand, I feel, you know, I didn't like the character much. I didn't like the situation. I don't want to see this. I'm stressed out myself. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me say what it's about uh, yeah. to get into it. So Adam Sandler plays this, as you say, jeweler in the Diamond District in Manhattan named Howard Ratner. Uh, he's Jewish. Uh, he's sort of how, however old Adam Sandler is, 50 odd, maybe early 50s, late 40s. And he's got a family. He's also got a bit on the side. And he's in with loan sharks. His mm. loan shark is actually uh, his brother-in-law. And as you said, there's this, there is this competing kind of network of sort of dependencies going on. Like one thing depends on another. So right at the start of the film, he receives this package he's been waiting for for a long time, which is this uncut gem, the title says, which is this uh, black opal full of beautiful colours, um, but uncut. You know, it's still kind of in the rough. And as far as he believes... This can go for a million dollars, according to it's like whatever he said, three thousand dollars per carrot, and it's six hundred odd carrots. It all multiplies up, so he's looking forward to selling this. Right at the start, he's already in hock to his brother-in-law for all this money. He puts on a bloody great big bet, and then things start getting all out. Of, I mean, the moment that he puts on that bet, you know, I'm kind of thinking, I I like the character. I know that I'm really not supposed to, and he's an asshole. 
I think actually that first shot where you're introduced to him is great. It's so witty. It starts off on a close-up of his colonoscopy and pulls out. So literally, you're looking at a close-up of an asshole. Like, I think that's kind of what the film is. I think that's a a joke. Well, except, how do you think it rhymes with the ending? Well, I think that's interesting as well, because, uh, and we should say at this point, spoilers, Mm. uh, that we are going to spoil this film, so... Before we get any further, I'd say go and see it. I think it's cracking. Mm. Um, it will be on Netflix at some point as well. I saw the Netflix logo at the start, so yes. clearly they're distributing it in some sense. Um, the end of the film is a close-up on a bullet wound in his face. He's mm. shot right at the end. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was kind of... like it's Because then it comes out, it goes out into the gem as well, doesn't it? Oh, no, it goes out into the universe at the end. But one thing they said about the, 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 the gem is that you can see the universe in it. Yes. I mean, there's clearly a relation, I think, made between the opal, the black opal, um, which is very specific, right? It's multicolored, yeah, it's kind mm. of, you know, the film makes a big deal about it containing the universe or all the elements that go through or all the colors of the universe, I forget how they put it. Yeah, so there's a relationship between the topaz, uh, the asshole journey at the beginning, <laughs> you know, the bullet journey at the end, yeah, kind of, all of those things are definitely related, yeah? Yeah. Um, but how... Yeah, I, I wasn't sure to make of how it added up, but there is a definite visual symmetry to yes, how that starts. one goes out, you know, well, yeah. No, I think it is, well, no, it's going in, but you're seeing it from a camera, right? And you're seeing the end of the process. And the other one kind of very much goes in, yeah? So, mm. um... So the wound, the asshole, (laughs) the jewel, (laughs) are all linked um, together. Along with things like luck and destiny and, you know, and tragedy, really. Um, So like I say, when he puts that bet on right at the start, I knew I wasn't supposed to like this character, really. But but I was kind of charmed by him, the gift of the gab and that sort of thing. and, And I wanted him to win that bet. Although I think part of the reason that I wanted him to win that bet was that I could see how awful things would become if he didn't win it, and I kind of wanted to avoid that unpleasantness. Um, Of course, what happens is he does win it, and then it turns out someone else cancelled the bet because they were pissed off with him. So, like, it's things get better, they get worse. And it's interesting to me that throughout the film, you say things constantly get worse, and they sort of do, but there's always some promise left with what happens. So when the... um, auction doesn't go well he ends up buying his own stone because he tried to ramp Mm. up the price it's gone very badly and now he's got to pay a commission and whatnot Mm. but he's still got his stone Mm. you know something else could happen I mean I kind of um, the thing about Adam Sandler I don't like him I don't like his type of humour I remember seeing him in The Wedding Singer all those years ago and thinking he's going to be a big star because he was very charismatic right and he's unlike other kind of actors he lets you in. But in this film, I did think there was something that you were a little bit at a, at a remove yeah, from him. I thought he was great. But his usual kind of charisma or charm or all of that is like kind of stripped bare, really. yeah. And the moment where he breaks down, I think, is kind of very moving. But in between, he's conning everybody. And actually, I, lo- I love that about the character because he is managing all the situations. Mm-hmm. And again... You know, he reminded me a little bit of that moment in Lubitsch, like of t- in To Be or Not To Be, you know, where the guy's making a critique about the laugh, yeah? And he goes, you know, can I make a suggestion? And the guy goes, no, well, can I make a recommendation? <laughs> right, or like, yeah, yeah, like, I kind of, you know, 
he's got an argument going, and every time kind of somebody else refuses, he shifts. Yeah, but it keeps going and going and going. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of, you know, recognizable of a culture that I grew up in in Montreal. Yeah, and I kind of, there was an excitement and an intelligence. And, and on the other hand, you think, it's not going to get you anywhere. Like, yeah, it's also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might drive up the price, but, you know, after a certain point, it's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind also, of amazing that that girl loves him so much in this. You know? mm. Although, I mean, you kind of feel... Maybe you feel like she's been conned as well, but there is affection between them, real there affection. Is, there is affection. Well, I mean, again, I think these are the great things about this film. Yeah, because I think it brings out that complexity. There's affection, but there's also exploitation. Mm -hmm. There's imbalance. Yeah, he's got a wife. She's an employee, right? Yeah. You kind of, you see all of those power dynamics at work as well as the affection, yeah? Yeah. So I like that very much about this film, actually. I think, um, and that applies to almost every... Thing. Do you think that part of the remove uh, that you feel from Adam Sandler's character, Howard, in this, I noticed this, is he's very, he always wears glasses and sometimes you can't see his eyes through them. Yeah. Either they're shades or there are reflections yes. in them. And I noticed that when, when that happens, your focus is on his mouth. Uh, or at least it was for me, which I found really interesting because I think it kind of happens at moments where he's trying to con his way into or out of situations. He's trying to talk people around and it's sort of visually you're drawn to his tool, really. I mean, he's not a physically intimidating character. He's not going to beat anyone up no. to anything. He's, it's all about gift of the gab yeah. and, and, his, and his mind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, for an actor to let himself be shown the way Adam Sandler has here is quite amazing, right? Because he's really middle-aged. He's got a middle-aged body, right? Yeah. His skin is terrible. Like, you know, it makes you think... I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not terrible, terrible, but it's the skin of a 50-odd-year-old man. Right? Yeah, like, he's you not know? ugly, but he's kind of fairly raw, as you say. Well, it's not just that, but, you know, kind of in previous films, for example, they obviously use some pancake makeup, but, you know, they erase the blemishes and, mm. you know, like, little black spots in your face and, yeah, and, like, all, all of the things that kind of are normal in people of a certain age. But you haven't seen them in, in him, right? Mm. Also, he's been a star since he was very young, which we forget, you know? Yeah, mid-90s. Exactly. In fact, earlier probably with stand-up. I think mid-90s is when his film career kicked off. Yeah, I think Wedding Singer is 94 or something like that, right? I've got his credits up here. His film... Uh, it was in Coneheads in 93, Billy Madison 95. That would be his first big hit. Uh, Wedding Singer was 98. Okay. I kind of seem to remember somehow Wedding Singer being a key film. Oh, it was a key film, but just not his first. Right. Yeah, but early on. Yeah, but that's what made him a, a film star, I think. I, I would suggest Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Oh, Happy Gilmore. That but was nineteen. But Happy Gilmore was like an indie hit, wasn't it? Uh, it was... cost $12 million and made 41 Okay, that was a hit. Yeah. Yeah, and Billy Madison just before that uh, cost 10 made 26.4. Yeah, but those, um, are, those are kind of small. Yeah. Hits. And The Wedding Singer? Yeah. Uh, 18 million it cost and took 123. There you so go. That's, I think yeah. that's really what kind of fair him on another level. Yeah, because then the Waterboy after that cost 23 and took 190. Yeah, yeah, that was so huge. yeah, that's where. So yeah, when you think is where it blew up, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also a performance that you wouldn't have expected from him, really, because I mean, I stopped seeing his films. It was kind of, you know, formulaic and adolescent, and it just wasn't my thing, really. Mm. Um, so so I stopped seeing his films and I certainly wouldn't have expected this kind of performance from him and also I wouldn't have expected him to be involved with these filmmakers because Why is that? his films until now they have all been 
kind of Hollywood comedies made on small budgets relatively. You know, so they all have a cheaper feel to them, or actually. Yeah, all the money goes on the stars in those films. Yeah. On him. Exactly. And it's all kind of... I mean, I think at one point you said, well, American comedy is really just improvisation and kind of acting and so on. And that felt... His films felt a lot like that to me. Except also with a kind of an adolescent crude humour. I mean, it just Mm. wasn't um, me. So I I didn't think that, uh, you know, he would be involved with... Like, I mean, the only thing that I've seen of, um, what are they called? The six, uh, Safdies. Josh, Josh and Benny Safdie, the writer-directors. Yeah. So the only thing that I've seen the Safdie brothers is the first half hour of Good Time. Which is on Netflix, which I watched the other day and said you should watch and you got half an hour into it. Yeah, I was just um, too tired. I mean, you know, the film looked great, but, uh, you know, I was just too tired. Yeah. Um, no, but that was crack. very gritty and... Fairly grim. It's, I mean, it's a cracker. I really liked it. And I, I, won't, I won't say too much because obviously you've got the rest of it to go and I hope you yes. watch it because it's great. But there's a similarity uh, certainly between, for one thing, the, the main characters in the two films. Robert Pattinson plays the main character in that one and he similarly has a quick-talking, a quick mind, a quicker mind than this really because he's in situations where everything has to happen immediately. Yes. Um, and he's kind of constantly uh, evading, uh, capturing the law, things like that. And he's he's got, again, sort of... He, he's got fewer competing things pulling on him than Adam yes. Sandler does here. He's really got just one or two things to do in that. But they, he has a similar gift of the gab yeah. um, ability to talk himself through situations. Yeah, let's explore that actually because, I mean, I hadn't, it hadn't registered until you mentioned but actually it's very interesting because that gift of the gab, of improvising, of conning people, of being in these very stressful situations that require a con or a line, or something that will get you out of it, that will make people see you in a particular way, so that you can do X, is also something that you see in this film. So that's interesting, because when I saw it on Adam Sandler, and partly because, you know, it's the milieu of the film, I instantly thought of that as a kind of, you know, an East Coast kind of Jewish cultural thing, you know. And actually, it just occurs to me now that Patterson is doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of describing it in those terms. But I think it's interesting because the right directors, the Safdie brothers, are Jewish oh, right. and grew up between Queens and Manhattan. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm. Sh- I'm sure I read somewhere because I read just a little bit around, and I'm sure I read that like this this particular milieu, Diamond District, and that sort of thing, is something that they were connected to, right. uh, and they and they kind of grew up around uh, around kind of diamond dealers, the mob, and that sort of thing. Because I was thinking the first thing that occurred to me when I heard about this film was um, Jewish stereotype. Yeah. Right, the kind of the diamond dealer, greediness, loan shark, that kind of area. I, I thought, and really, what I thought was, how is it that this film has not uh, sort of blown up on Twitter for that? Right. You know, like you think Twitter would sort of make something up, saying this is stereotypical. Not after seeing it, though. Exactly right. Yeah. This is what I'm getting to. Like after seeing it, you realise. Well, for one thing, it's really good, and for another thing, that stereotype. I mean, it kind of is there. Like, he is kind of greedy, but it's not playing as a Jewish thing. And it's, it's a real character, right? You believe this guy. Also, greedy is the wrong word. I mean, I, would, yeah. I, I kind of, I don't see him as greedy. I think he's got a real gambling addiction. Yeah. And I think the thing about gamblers is this: it's a, they have a kind of a utopian dimension, right? There's always the next hit. There's always the next bet. Everything's going to turn out beautiful. You've got to have faith. You know, you might have had bad luck now, but it's on the next one. Yeah, so there's a kind of a utopian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, impulse really behind that. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, and I think part of it, it occurred to me that maybe part of it might have just been that with the writer-directors being Jewish themselves and from this particular kind of part of the world, maybe that uh, is just an automatic uh, sort of defence against criticism. But that doesn't always work because, you know, when you think back to Sasha Baron Cohen, who's Jewish, made Borat and the Anti-Defamation League no. spoke out against the perpetuation of silly Jewish stereotypes in that kind of horns and legs. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's not an automatic defence. I think, it, you know, really is just that the film is extremely good. The characterization is rich. But let's explore what we mean by good, because actually I think the reason why it hasn't received that kind of criticism is because it doesn't deserve it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because the film is good enough to kind of flesh out things and, you know, give context and build relationships. And, and they're all quite complex. And it's handled in a way very lightly, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see Adam Sandler in amongst his family, like, my God, you know, it's like you get a whole... Um, well, not just a, a world view or, you know, you get the picture of a whole kind of set of connections and relations in a particular world. But actually, it's almost like each character has a different set of relations within that world. Yeah. So the world is both kind of very clearly drawn out and also very clearly differentiated. Yeah. You know, the scenes with the wife and the wife putting on, you know, the dress that she wore 30 years ago, mm. the way that the women react, you know, within that, you know, the way that the children kind of, you know, are just... Yeah, so this is happening between in a family party, right? So, you know... Well, a, a Passover dinner. Pesach a Passover dinner. dinner, you know. So on the one hand, they're doing the ritual, they're doing the reading. You know, on the other hand, all of these things are going on. On the other hand, he owes money to his brother-in-law, who's got loan sharks after him. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's- I really love that element of the Pesach dinner where you see uh, you see them telling the story, as, the, as you do during Pesach dinner. It's a story of... Uh, the Jews escaping bondage in Egypt, and you tell the story throughout the night. And so you see an element of that where they do the the, uh, the twelve plagues. How many plagues? Were it? Ten plagues. <laughs> I've been to Pesach dinner so many times. How could I forget? Yeah. You do the ten plagues, um, and you do a drop of wine with each one. You recognise that. You recognise the kids running around looking for the afikoman, which is this bit of matter that you hide. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do that. But then the other thing that you recognise is the fact that throughout the film, uh, Adam Sandler doesn't wear a yarmulke, a kapul. He does later. Uh, he does later, though. Does uh, yeah? Does he outside the Pesach dinner? No, I think it's in the Pesach dinner. Because, That's what I mean. Yeah. Throughout the film, he doesn't. At Pesach ah. dinner, he does. Yeah, yeah. Which is the same. Yeah, if I were to go to shul, which I don't do anymore, but if I were to for a wedding or whatever, also you put one on. You go around at Pesach, you put one on, and then you continue talking about other stuff. I think there's always a lovely thing where, uh, when you see people in whatever religious garb or cultural thing it might be, you kind of assume they just switch into being perfectly religious or whatever you know like, and of course that's not what happens what happens is you put on the capital and then you carry on talking about whatever was on tv that you've seen you know oh my god i know i mean i've been to jewish funerals yeah. where you put on the capital as well and and i'm not saying that's specific to jews it's just saying that i you know i'm sure that's the same with with sikhs or hindus or muslims or whoever you might be you you, you just have your regular conversations but you're doing it in uh, during a, a religious dinner basically I had, the, I had the most embarrassing moment with my with my father where I went to my cousin's wedding and the chapel was full. You know, it's an old medieval chapel in our village. And so, you know, it was completely packed. But actually it was also very gendered. So, you know, the 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 women were all inside with the flowers and whatever. And then all the men, in very loud voices, like Spanish people often have, you know, were outside, you know, like in the vestibule, between the two doors and going into the courtyard all talking about the price of cows (laughs) (laughs) in the middle of the conversation, right? Like, do you love this man? Yes. I sold him for (laughs) 30,000. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And I really love that. I love the casualness. That really feels so true to life. If you compare it to, for instance, um, Disobedience, which was the film set in North London Jewish community. That, that was saw. a beautiful film. A beautiful actually. film. But you remember the, the Shabbos dinner that they have? Yes. And the conversation around that is a very serious one. It's not about religion, but it's about Jewishness. And it's mm. about how your relationships affect you in the community and stuff. Like, that's a kind of... That's, that's more of a, I would say... A cinematically kind of conventional uh, religious scene where you know like it all has to tie in together and mean something and and here the observation that I think is really true to life is that it doesn't you just happen to be wearing the cap all this time yes. but you're seeing your family you're watching I mean they're watching the NBA for Christ's sake you know? I know no but it's yeah it, it, I don't know it has a resonance for yeah. me anyway but I wanted to ask what, what did you make of the shooting style right it's all handheld it's often very quick what did you make of that? I loved it, and I think it. I think it ties in with the editing and music together. I think it's really holistically put together, kind of audio visually. Early on, the music, uh, the the way the film is soundtracked, um, is quite dominant uh, in those early scenes where you're getting to know the character, yes. um, and it plays almost as montages. So these are dialogue scenes that happen in his apartment or in the shop but you only hear snatches of dialogue because everyone's talking over each other and the music's quite loud which initially I sort of found frustrating I wanted to hear what the conversations were but then you kind of get the point that all the details aren't really the point here mm. it's it's the feeling of energy and the feeling of a kind of continuing uh, kind of day that it creates that I think is interesting and I think I think it was actually really brilliantly kind of soundtracked and edited and it was shot on 35mm film as well, okay. I read. That's and, interesting. And you can see, yes. you know, I think what you're you saying about see. Adam Sandler's face, the pock nuts, yeah. that sort of thing, I think it kind of helps to show them up maybe or adds them with the kind of grain. There's a cleanliness that is missing. Yeah, but there's also a, a um, kind of a gentleness in a way, yeah, like a, a texture. Because, you know, one of the things that I don't like about digital is how often the camera, the film is just too sharp. Right, like, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. like, um, um, yeah, exactly. Yes, the softness of edges of things. Like, yeah. it's not out of focus at any point, but there is a different quality. Yes. Okay, I see that. Well, what, what did you make of the? I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting old, or like I was trying to figure out what is the aesthetic of this film. Yeah. Why are these choices? Like, yeah. When is the camera moving? When isn't? When isn't it moving? Is it just kind of improvised? Did they just shoot a lot of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. put it together in the editing room. Yeah, kind of, you know... It certainly, they could have made it that way if they wanted to. You certainly feel like that might be... You know, yeah. The, the shooting style lends itself to snatching shots. Yes. So so I was just kind of, you know, trying to figure it out, really. Um, you know, I'm always thinking, well, like, why is the camera moving? It has to have a reason. Well, in this film, it's moving all the time. Yeah. Mm. And yet, on the other hand, you sometimes see Adam Sandler's face constantly framed yeah like a frame within a frame and actually mm. constantly anguished also yeah like he's always <laughs> in trouble yeah he's always kind of you know looking at a window or through a mailbox or through something with yeah people outside waiting to get his money yeah that shakiness I mean, one of the things that i think i liked about it one of the reasons that i think it works is that nothing is stable in the film and everything is constantly in play yeah. and you kind of feel like if the film if the camera sat down at any point and gave you an overview or something it somehow wouldn't feel right. Like the fact that everything is subject to change and movement, I think yeah. the camera work conveys very nicely. I think that's true. I think it gives it that energy. Um, so I think for me, kind of where the film succeeds is as a kind of tragedy of addiction, really. Because on the one hand, 
the film is very clever about contextualizing things, about giving reasons. Yeah, so you're told at the very beginning, it's like these poor guys, these poor Jews in Ethiopia who are mining this, right? And who are clearly like very exploited and so on. So uh, uh, the Adam Sandler character is somebody, you know, who's not a nice person in many ways. Yeah, he is kind of benefiting from, yeah, the exploitation of others. He's got a deal kind of going. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, and actually I suppose I wanted to ask you about what do you make of the relation between the basketball player and the Adam Sandler character? Because, you know, there's, a, there's definitely, you're meant to make something of that relation, but also the film really focuses almost exclusively on two worlds. Yeah, a black subculture of celebrity, rappers, nightclubbing, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know this Jewish culture around the Diamond District, the Diamond yeah. District, and and crime. Uh, that's where the criminal yeah. element comes. Well, in. the crime ties both of them together on some level. Yeah, yeah, but the criminals, uh, you're or, or criminals might be too strong word, but the loan sharks, the, the money lenders, that sort of thing, they are Jewish. Here. Right. Um, okay. You know the black the black uh, characters are. Uh, well, the the Lakeith Stanfield character is on the hustle because yes. he's the one who brings them together and wants to sell That's the watches, right. and he's got fake Rolexes. But um, but everyone else is a consumer, yes, really, and they and they want to show off the status. And although the thing that's interesting about the basketball player character is his relationship to the gem isn't about that status. He sees this gem and he becomes kind of connected it's to it. It's about luck and destiny and so on. Yeah, which is like gambling. Yeah. Right. But I also made me think of like a like it's kind of a sports person superstition, like you're always wearing the same pants or whatever. Yeah, match. yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> a, it's definitely a superstition, but it, but you know, I mean, you know, by its almost by its very nature, superstition is it's something that you know doesn't have any logical sense, but that you believe in, mm. right? You know, and that you think will bring you luck. And actually, um, the Adam Sandler's uh, uh, views on gambling is exactly that. Right, it is about luck and chance, and everything will be better tomorrow. And yeah, it kind of is, but it's. Um, I think it's definitely at odds with, with the way the basketball player relates to the gem, because he really, he really does seem to, you know, like I say, be, be connected to it. The moment he sees it, he needs it, and um, there's something mystical about it. Yeah, and there's that thing of it. it I mean, it, it. it doesn't really play it this heavily, but there is that moment of. He he has the gem the first night and he plays out of his skin at the, at the game and then when he gives the gem back he plays very badly you know so the film and it's and it almost says it puts lines in I think Alan Sanders' mouth to that effect but it doesn't ever really say it has like mystical powers it just says the guy thinks it has mystical powers um, it also puts lines in Alan Sanders' mouth about the bonding of them but the difference between him and the way Alan Sanders relates to gambling is I don't think you really get anything about destiny and the gambling. You maybe get a line that's kind of braggadocious about, uh, you know, I just see the way... When he puts the bet on, I think, the first time, he has something about, uh, I reckon it's going to come off in a very braggadocious way. And the guy's taking the bet says, this is the stupidest bet I've ever seen. But it comes across as not as uh, something that he believes in kind of destiny or fate or anything like that, I don't Mm. think. It's just something that he wants to come off. And I think it is more of a vice for him than uh, something that he needs in that sense. Well, I think it's worth exploring. So on the one hand, for the basketball player, it's a fetish. He strokes it. He thinks it brings him luck. Mm. Yeah, he feels it makes him connected to the universe and to, and to history and ancestry and things like that. 
Mm. Um, so do you think that Adam Sandler sees his own gambling as science? <laughs> I.e., yeah, that if, yeah, that it's a logical bet. When the guy who takes that first bet says, this is the stupidest bet I've ever seen, you don't get any pushback from Adam Sandler that says it's not stupid. And you think probably he would probably admit that it's stupid, but I think he likes the risk. Mm. That's kind of one I get. I don't think you really... Um, I don't get any impression from the Sandler character that he either thinks it's to do with luck or destiny or that he thinks it's uh, something that he has like a key to scientifically. I think mm. he just likes the gamble. Mm. Um, that's what I get. Okay. Can we talk through the film structure? Yeah. So how are we introduced to him? Yeah. Walking down the streets. Is that it? Uh, well, it's the colonoscopy first and then it's walking down the street on the phone. Yeah. Uh, talking about money. Yeah. And so we instantly get... Yeah, we instantly see that he's embroiled in all of these financial problems. And then he makes that bet that he wins but is removed, right? Yeah, that that's it? the brother-in-law calls it off. Yeah. Then he loses his girlfriend, he loses his wife, he loses his money, and the opal that he's lent to the basketball player is not initially not returned then it's returned but he can't open the door yeah yeah so th so th yeah there is kind of like a structure and actually the film is is really i think a tragedy because it really does just keep getting worse and worse and worse and actually i was thinking about the film that it could only end one way and be a serious film yeah because actually you could have made a happy ending it would have been very easy well yeah i'm um, right at the end when the bet wins that second huge bet with $165,000 it comes off and the brother-in-law who's been kept in that uh, airlock <laughs> for two and a half hours or however long the game is is like happy with it yes. yeah he's basically ready to forgive him and it's the thug who shoots him yeah and, and then shoots his boss yeah. and just and then like thuggery just wins out in the end they just steal all this shit and that's the end of the film and why do you think the guy shoots him I think he's clearly pissed him off throughout the entire film and been kind of thorn in his side. And for me, I just went, that is as simple as he hates having been locked up in that place with no water. You see how, how hot and sweaty all the rest he is. I um, thought it was about being disrespected. Yeah. You know, and it was just like one step too far, really. Yeah, and he yeah. just lost his shit and shoot him. Yeah, the so, you know, so Adam Sandler's been like enjoying having orgasms over the way the film, yes. the, the game has been going, whereas he's been in the, like this shitty hole without air. You know, watching it all ha go by and be feeling trapped, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. eh, 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 eh. <laughs> and he has no incentive to forgive him because he's not the one who's going to make any money out of this bet. He's not the boss. Yeah. You know, the brother-in-law is the boss, the loan shark, and he stands to gain out of this. He's going to get paid back and probably then some, but not the thug. Yeah, the thug's like fuck this. <laughs> I mean, I kind of I thought it was it was shocking. Um, and I, I didn't anticipate it. Ah, uh, I, but I thought it was funny too. I mean, <laughs> I anticipate. I mean, I thought the film could only end that way, unless you just, you know, if it had all gone well, you'd say that's a cop out. Yeah, mm. I did find it a grim experience watching it. You know, it's relentless, horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing happens. Yeah, you know, and. Like, he's fast-talking his way out of situations, sometimes in such stressful situations, you know. He's got people waiting to kill him at his door, and he's having a conversation about selling an opal on the other, right? Yeah. And he keeps kind of focused, but you're feeling the stress, yeah? Like, yeah. You know, and it gets worse and worse and worse, yeah. Like, so actually, to have him win at the end, it would have been, like, 
I don't know, Pretty Woman or something. Like, it would have been an emotional release. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it would have reunited him with his girlfriend. So, like, you know, kind of would have been a happy solution and an emotional release. You would have come out of the, of the theater feeling good. You know, whereas actually kind of you come out thinking, oh, this is an interesting film. It might be a great film. Yeah. A, this is not a commercial film. It's, it's Adam Sandler playing against type. Mm. And it's a very hard and harrowing kind of film, actually. It's got, you know, I didn't find it hard to watch. That would be wrong. You know, but it does go from bad situation to worse to worse to worse. It's, it's yeah. stressful to watch. You know, it does have comics of, you know, comic elements in between, which do work. But it's still, I did find it a stressful, a stressful watch. So it's, to me, it's not a commercial prospect. Actually, I bet you that without Netflix, a film like that would never have been made in the current climate at all. You know, these, these I don't are, think it's Netflix that made it. I do think, from what I can tell on, on the internet, they do seem to have picked it up for distribution. Okay, well, um, let me tell you, I can't imagine a, a, a major studio you know, yeah. uh, making this film. I think it's... Um, the production companies are Ilara Pictures, IAC Films, and Cicalia Productions, so okay. small, you know... And A24 distributing it in the States. Okay. Um, the, who are kind of... They're like, they're like a, the biggest of the indies types, like them and Annapurna sort of thing. Okay. Um, so, I mean... Premium filmmaker brand sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of... I have mixed feelings about it, you know, because on the one hand... I do think it's really quite wonderful, yeah? And I'm glad they did it, and it's a risk about everybody. And it really is a complex kind of depiction of a person with an addiction, you know? Mm. Um, I think the film would have been better with more humour. Yeah. I found it quite funny, but do you do you think um, do you think I found it funny and you did? Um, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, there are also elements that I found funny, yeah? Mm. Like I did, like you said, I did respond to it. But I also think I would have liked more of them, mm-hmm. right? I would have liked more to release some of the tension and the stress or even like, you know, because, I mean, he doesn't have a sense of humor about a situation, <laughs> you know, um, and it's very difficult to get one. And actually nobody else does either. No, that's true. No one in the film, f- apart from when uh, Idina Menzel, the wife, uh, sees him kind of pleading yeah. to her with his eyes and she laughs in his face. That's about it. But- but that's also not... I mean, I don't know whether I laughed or not. But actually, that's also not funny. It's very cruel. Yeah. But she finds it funny. That's it. Well, she laughs. That's what I mean. She, that, has, she has a sense of humour about but that's that. Well, I don't think that's even a sense of humour. That's a laughing at him very harshly. Yeah, yeah. So That's a type of humour. It's not nice, but it's... Yeah, but that's not the same as the film having a sense of humour. I mean, no. she's a cruel... No, I know, but you didn't say the film doesn't have a sense of humour. You said he doesn't have a sense of humour, and no one else does. That, but I, I generally, I agree with you. I think it's it's not a film that is looking to um, find the humour in these situations. Although I think the absurdity in them and the conflict in them, I think, can be funny. Yeah. But it's not it's not looking to mine it for laughs. Well, I w- the thing is, I wish there had been a bit more yeah. because I think the, the audience would have welcomed that release, or I would have welcomed that release. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I got stuck into the tension. I gotta say, I liked it. Yes. I think sometimes that kind of that pot boiler thing yes. um, is is kind of pleasurable in its own way. Right. Um, well, I mean, maybe that's just me. As I said, you know, I'm kind of I'm so stressed out at the moment that kind of the idea of seeing that's that even more stress on television. I was like, yeah. oh, on television on the screen. <laughs> I can't stand. How does he live? <laughs> Anyway, I think this is a really interesting film. I think it might even be like a great film, really. 
I just didn't have too pleasant an experience in watching it. And even kind of thinking about it now, you know, like I'm admiring it, right? And it does feel like a tragedy in some ways. It's kind of maybe worth mm. more thought. Um, when I find filmmakers basically my own age, these guys are about 35, I am just, I'm resistant to... Them. to Yeah, I'll just fuck them out. Fuck them, for <laughs> being, fuck them for being successful and, you know, the rest of it. Um but I really like these two, the yes. Safdie brothers, and I want to see the rest of their stuff. And I think these guys might be properly great. Yes, um, yes, I think I think you're probably right. Anyway, you certainly feel that really. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not sure about how great it is. Yeah, but it's definitely serious work. That's kind of doing really interesting things that is worth thinking about. Yeah. So see it. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping other movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. Spotify and YouTube to listen to us on social media we're on Facebook and Twitter eavesdropping at movies and at eavesdrop movies and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com thank you very much for listening bye bye (laughs) bye